Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, CityWalk. How we doing? How we doing online, CityWalk? I know you can't talk back to us, but uh, we want to welcome you into. Uh, before we dive into a series that's a brand new series for us, that I'm excited to jump into. I wanted to remind you this week's a really important week for our church. And uh, here's why. Matt already said this, but here at City Walk, we want to make it an easy place for you to get connected and for you and your family to get connected. We, we know that sitting in rows is, is kind of part of what we do when we go to church, but we really don't get to know people sitting in rows. We really connect with people when we sit in circles. And so we do, uh, do a lot of work to really put together uh, some good city groups and city students environments for you and for your students to get connected. And so this week, Wednesday night, our city students is going to be meeting for the first time in person since I believe last March. Uh, they're going to be, absolutely, that's something we can be excited about. Uh, they're going to be meeting here at 6.30 on Wednesday night. So if you have a middle schooler or high schooler, maybe you're watching online, you have a middle schooler or a high schooler, get them here. They're going to have a great time with Matt and the team, uh, the city students team. And then for, for us, if you're an adult, this is the week that we kick off our city groups. And we have six city groups that are going to be meeting throughout the city. And uh, we, they, they meet on different nights of the week. And it's just an opportunity for us to take some of the things we talk about today and we apply those uh, to our lives a little bit more. And we get really connected to people on, on a smaller scale. And so uh, my city group is uh, something I look forward to every single week. And I hope that you will take the opportunity and really maybe, maybe take a step of courage and get connected in a group. I promise you won't regret it. Uh, today, uh, when I was growing up, today I grew up in a, a house of three boys Today was one of the most special Sundays of the year. And you're like, was today your mom's birthday? No. Is today the day that somebody accepted Jesus? Maybe that was their spiritual birthday? It's like, no, those are all great. Was it an anniversary that you guys look forward to in your family? No, today was the first Sunday that the NFL was back. And so for us, little, you know, three growing up in, in a house with three boys, we look forward to the first Sunday that football was back on. And for us, I grew up in Tampa in the 80s. And so if you know anything about football, the 80s for Tampa Bay and really most of Tampa Bay's whole history has not been real good. Uh, we grew up Buccaneer fans and, and almost every single year they would talk about, man, we've got some new players. We've got a, a new coach. We, we've got some new things happening. And we would always start the year as as Little guy, little kids, me and my two brothers, we would start the year excited about the Buccaneers. And maybe, just maybe, this is the year. And then about three games into the year, 
we would start talking about next year maybe being the year. Uh, because it, as much as they put time and money and bring in the right players and draft the right players, it never seemed to, to work out real well for the Bucks, and, and we, except for a couple years with Tony Dungy and then John Gruden, except for a few years, man, it's not been a real good history for the Bucks. But as, as bad as it is in, in athletics to put all the time and effort into something and it not work out the way it's supposed to, it, it's a lot worse when that happens to you in life. And here's what I mean. You, you put all the pieces together just like you were taught to put them together. You, you invest all the money just the way you were told to invest your money. Uh, uh, you, you do all the, the right things. You follow all the right plans that were laid out for you that you were told, hey, this is what you're supposed to do to be successful. And then your business struggles. And your marriage is, is going through a really tough season. And you're having some issues with your kids. And at the end of the day, as you look at life, you, you look at, man, well, I did things all the way I was supposed to. I followed all the right plans. I, I did all the right things, read all the right books. And it just doesn't seem like life is turning out the way it was supposed to. It, it doesn't seem like life today is really what I thought it would be 10 years ago when I was looking at what would be like today. And, and for us, it's, it's a season, and probably not just for you as a person, but really for our community and in, and in many ways for our country and world, that this year has just not turned out the way it was supposed to. And we could take time and we could go around the room and we could all share about the different struggles and the business isn't doing good and this is going wrong and, and this, this thing's happening that wasn't supposed to happen and this tragedy and all that's happening. But here's the question that, that I, I really want us to think about as we dive into this series. Could it be different? What would it take for you as an individual to come back? What would it take for, for our city, our, your family? Our, what would it take for things to be different? What would it take for all that's going on in, in our uh, lives personally and as a society? What would it take for things to turn around? And, and there's a lot of things that we can't control at all, that we, we can't control if they turn around. But what would happen if the things that we could control whatever control means what what would it look like if some things turned around and here's the good thing the good thing is we're not the first people in history to wonder that in fact all throughout the scriptures we, we find people that were facing challenges and disappointments that they could do nothing about that they were facing years in their life where they looked up and said what happened and all throughout history, whether you're looking at the Old Testament or the New Testament, you see these types of stories. And over the next few weeks, as we dive into this series, over these next few weeks, we're going to look at how a few of these people that were down and things weren't going right, God stepped into their story and changed everything. And we're going to start in the book of Luke. If you have your Bible, or it'll be up on the screen, we're going to start in the book of Luke. And Luke was a guy that was a doctor. Luke was a guy, he was a doctor by profession. He was a guy that was one of the early followers of Jesus. 
And, and at the end of Jesus' ministry, uh, Luke decided that he was going to write a letter and really an account of Jesus' ministry for a friend of his named Theophilus. And so Luke, he, he wrote down in great detail just how a doctor would write things down with a lot of detail. He wrote his account of what the life and ministry of Jesus was. And one of the things that he wrote is he, as he spent time with Jesus is he wrote about Jesus' interactions with different groups of people. And he talks about in Luke chapter 15, he talks about an interaction that Jesus had with a, a group of religious leaders and also a group of people that were just considered kind of down and out in the society and how Jesus took an opportunity to tell them a story. And so look with me at Luke chapter 15 verse 1. It kind of sets, gives us a setting of what, where Jesus is and who he's talking to. It says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, being Jesus. So, so it says the tax collectors and these people, it, think about this first sentence, the tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were so bad in this society, they had their own category. They didn't even fit good under sinners. They were worse than sinners. And so it was like tax collectors and sinners. So tax collectors were the people that were Jewish people. They worked for Rome, who was the enemy. And they took money from Jewish people and gave it to the enemy Rome. And so they were not popular. And so it says these tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus. They were drawing near to him. And, and here's what's interesting. As, as you start the story, you'll notice when Jesus is teaching in Jesus' ministry, outcast of society loved Jesus and leaned into him. And Jesus loved them and leaned back. It's very interesting. If you grew up kind of in a, in a, a religious system where, hey, if, if you weren't perfect you were kind of shunned that is absolutely not the way it was with Jesus actually the people that were the outcast they were usually on the front row leaning in when Jesus was talking and so it says the tax collectors and the sinners they were they were there and they were near to him and then in verse 2 it says this and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying this man received sinners and he eats with them so you set the scene, you have the front row, it's full of the, the tax collectors, the sinners, the outcasts, the people that you're not supposed to hang out with because they'll ruin your reputation. They were all on the front row listening to Jesus. And then in the very back, there was the, the, the Pharisees, the religious people, and they were kind of looking on with their nose up saying, what's this guy Jesus? Who's he think he is? Well, why is he hanging out with these type of people? And then what, what blew their mind and made it extremely scandalous to them is not only did he hang out with them, but then afterwards they went to eat together. And so man, it's like talking to him, that's one thing, but sitting down at the table with them and eating with them, this, who is this guy? And so they were, they were a little upset. And so here's what Jesus did. Instead of arguing with them, he said, hey, hey boys, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a little story. And, and he begins to tell stories to these people. And one of the stories he told this group, we see it start in verse 11. Look at verse 11. It says this. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. 
and he divided his property between them. And so there's three characters in the story. Jesus says, hey, there's this guy, and this guy, he represents God. The father represents God. And he had two sons. He had a younger son who represented in this setting the the sinners, the tax collectors, the, the bad people. And then there was another son, the older son, and he was going to be the representative of the religious crowd. And so the younger son comes to his dad and makes an audacious request that you you just don't ask. It's, It's way over the top for him to ask this. He comes to his dad and he says, hey, dad, would you go ahead and split up all your money and split up all your assets and go ahead and give me everything that's going to come to me? And as the younger son, he was going to get one-third of everything his dad owned. The older son would get two-thirds, and he would get one-third. And so basically, this only happened when somebody was about to die or when they were dead. And so what the son was saying to his dad was saying, Hey, Dad, I wish you were dead. Go ahead and give me all the stuff that's supposed to come to me. And his dad did it. His dad didn't have to, but his dad went ahead and split things up and gave the younger son his one-third, his share. And then it it says this in verse 13, not many days later, probably took this young son a few days to liquidate the stuff because some of it was property and some of it was animals. He needed cash. So he, he liquidated. Not a few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Basically, he, he went into a far country. He went far away from his family. And, and it, didn't, it doesn't tell us how long, but basically this guy just wasted everything he had on reckless, sinful, destructive living, it says. And then it says this in verse 14. And when he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. See, what happened was life in the far country was not what he expected. This young son that that went to the far country to get away from his dad and to to really uh, kind of take everything that he wanted and, and make it all about himself, when he got there and he found out what it was really like and all his money was gone, he realized that the far land had made some promises that it didn't come through with. The, the life of sin made some promises and said, hey, man, if you'll do this, this is what your life's going to be like. And now he finds himself saying, all those promises, they didn't come true because I'm in need. I'm in want. And maybe you've experienced this in your life, hopefully to not, not to this extent, but have you ever experienced a time where someone overpromised? And underdelivered. It's like, man, when I ordered that thing on Amazon, it looked a lot different in the picture. I was on a plane. Uh, I was headed to Alabama a few years ago from right. I think right when we moved out here, I was headed back there where my brother's at. And I remember being on a plane. And I think my connecting flight was in Las Vegas. I think I got on a plane there in Las Vegas, was headed to Birmingham. And I remember a couple rows ahead of me, there was this guy, he had like a cowboy hat on, he was probably like in his late 50s, like kind of a good old boy, just, just a nice guy, was real talkative to people, really, uh, if, if he lived in the south, you would say he was really southern, because he even had kind of an accent, he was kind of like a cowboy. 
And, and, and he was real excited about something. Here's what he was real excited about. He was excited because he was about to go meet his girlfriend in Birmingham. And so he's telling everybody around him about his girlfriend. And, and, and come to find out, and as he's telling this story, I'm just starting to feel really bad for this guy. He's actually got pictures. And, and, and he's one of those, and you don't want to be mean, and you've had these experiences too where you're like, that dude and that girl, I don't know. She uh, probably a couple leagues above him, but I am not going to tell him that. And then he starts telling the story like, have you ever met this girl? Nope. So you've just talked to this person online that's basically a picture of a model that somebody cut and paste. Yeah, but he's so excited. He's convinced he's going to see. And I was, I just felt so bad for him because I'm like, buddy, you are about to get punched in the gut emotionally when that girl doesn't show up because she's not real. And we all knew it, but he didn't. And I remember getting to the airport and, and just kind of watching this guy. Honestly, I was a little nervous for him. I was kind of like, man, let me make sure he's not going to get beat up. Like, there's not something really bad about to happen. But, but I left. My brother picked me up from the curb, and this dude was just standing by the curb. Like, I was like, oh, I don't know the end of the story, but I promise you that girl never showed up. And I just felt for him. It was one of those examples where, man, somebody over-promised this dude and no one delivered for him. And he spent some money to get to Birmingham from the West Coast. And so I felt so bad. And, and it's this guy that we're talking about in Scripture... This younger son, man, he went to the far country with a lot of, like, th thinking things were going to go really well, and this life of freedom, and living the way I want to, it's going to go well, and he found out really quickly that it was nothing like he expected, and in his desperation, it led him to do something he would have never, ever imagined he would do. Look at verse 15. It says this, so he went... So he, he's struggling. I mean, he has no money. He's, he's a mess. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So this Jewish boy is in such a desperate place that he goes and works for a Gentile, which that in itself was like, no. But not only was he going to work for a Gentile, but he was going to work with pigs, which were the most unclean animal, like, imaginable to the Jewish people. And so he is, he's found himself, he's feeding pigs, he's so hungry that not only is he feeding pigs, he's at a, such a desperate place that he's looking at the pods that the pigs are eating and he's craving them and the person that he's working for won't even let him eat those. Like this kid, he's in a really rough spot. See, in, in his desperation, as he's feeding these pigs, he's hungry, he, he's thinking, man, what happened? And then verse 17. And, and verse 17 has probably happened to a lot of us. It says this. But when he came to himself, aren't you glad that there's been some times in your life where you have come to yourself? It's an evidence of God's grace. It's an evidence of God's love for you and me. 
that there's moments in our darkness and in our desperation when we're, our life is not adding up the way we thought, we've made terrible mistakes, we've sinned, that God brings us to a point where we come to ourselves. And that's what happens to this kid. He says he comes to himself and he says, he said, he's starting to think clearly again. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. In a moment of clarity, the son realized that even his dad's employees had it way better than him. And so what he did is he, he put together a plan. He even thought through his speech. Like, here's what I'm going to say to my dad. You've probably experienced, like when you got called to the principal's office and you knew you did something wrong, like you're rehearsing your speech before you get there. Like, so you say all the right things. Well, that's what this kid's doing. He, he's going to go see his daddy. He, he's going to kind of, he knows this is like not, not normal for what he's about to do, but he's thinking, hey, where, where my dad's employees are, their lifestyle's way better than mine. I know I've screwed up royally. I've sinned. I've embarrassed my family, but I'm going to go back. I'm going to ask my dad if I could just, I don't want to be a son anymore. I don't deserve that, but can I just work for you, dad? Will you just treat me like you treat an employee? And so he had his, his speech all worked out. He didn't know, man, well, how's my dad going to react? What's my dad going to say? He's probably going to be so mad at me. Uh, this, at this point, this kid coming back, he could be killed for what he had done, how he had embarrassed his family. He doesn't know what he's walking into, but what he's walking into is better than what he has now, so he's about to take a chance. And so he, he, he starts back. It says in verse 20, and he arose. He came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His dad, he, he saw him because he was looking for him. He says, and his dad felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Instead of anger, his father felt compassion and without thinking of his reputation, because men back in this time, this, his dad was an honorable man, and, and an honorable man did not run. That was, that was something that you just didn't do that. That was disrespectful to yourself. You didn't run anywhere. But this dad, as he's on the front porch, and he's looking, and he, he's looking, he's probably been out on the front porch every single day, waiting for his son to come back. He sees his son way down the path, and it says that this dad, I mean, he's overwhelmed with compassion. He doesn't care about his reputation he starts running to his son he runs to his son he has compassion on his son he kisses his son he embraces his son and the son said to him he's starting in on his speech like dad all right get off me a second i gotta gotta tell, do my speech for you he starts to, to to share his speech father i have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, the dad was just not even hearing it at all. It says, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let's eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
And they began to celebrate. Instead of anger, the father showed the son unconditional love. Instead of giving him a punishment, he gave him honor. See, if this son got what he deserved, there would have been a funeral, not a feast. Everything, and this is so interesting, everything the younger son was looking for that he went to the far country to find, he found in a relationship with his dad, with his father. And so remember, when we hear this story, remember the setting. Jesus is telling this story. There's a group of outcasts and sinners and people that, man, they weren't welcomed in the church. And they're, they're right here. They're leaning in. They're hearing about this. And, and then there's this religious crowd in the back. And, and this religious crowd, man, they're, they're probably like cheering Jesus on as he's talking about how bad this guy is and all the stuff he did. But then Jesus does a little turn in the story. And after he talks about the younger son, it says this in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. So basically, the older son, he was, he was out in the field doing what responsible sons do. He was doing his job. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him, like, what is this about? What, did, did I miss somebody's birthday? What, what are we celebrating? I didn't have this on my calendar. What's going on? And the servant is probably like, like giddy to tell him, man, oh, you're not going to believe this, thinking that this older son's going to be so excited. And so it says this, it says, and he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But, and here's what verse 28 says, but he was angry and he refused to go in. Instead of celebrating, he was so mad, he wouldn't even go into the party. And his father, he, he came out and, and he entreated or begged him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. And I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. See, here's what was, it, the older son thought. And this, the religious leaders, this is who Jesus was talking to. See, this older son, just like the religious leaders, thought that proximity to the father meant that they were in a relationship with the father. So these religious leaders, you know where they hung out? Around the temple. Like they were near the center of religious life all the time. You know where the... the older son was while the younger son was out partying and, and wasting all his money he stayed close to the father and so the religious leaders just like this older son thought man dad, dad I've been around I've been working and, and he's listing off just like we do with God sometimes I did this for you and I've done this for you and I've been responsible and all these things thinking like well that means that we have a great relationship and, and then he says this in verse 30 but when this son of yours, the brother wouldn't even say his name, wouldn't even call him his brother. Your son, dad, when your son who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? See, the older son's behavior may have been more socially acceptable than the younger son, but it was equally dishonoring to the father. 
Maybe on the outward, just like these religious leaders, their outward appearance seemed better, it seemed more moral, it seemed like they were better people, but on the inside, their apathy and their pride and their legalism was just as dishonoring to God as what the sinners and tax collectors did in their life. And that's, what, that, that's really what, what the, the writer, Luke, and Jesus, as he's telling this story, that's what he's trying to say. And, and here's, what, here's what's happened. And maybe you've experienced this, whether you're watching online or you're here with us this morning. Over the years, the church has at times done the same thing the older brother has. And here's what I mean. We've equated proximity to the church, to the service, with closeness to God. And, 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 you know, it's not all bad, obviously, to come to church and be close to that kind of stuff. But instead of focusing on our own sin, what we have done is we've spent a lot more time focusing on the sins of others. And we actually even have sayings for this. We say things like, love the sinner, hate the sin." And that's not a terrible statement. I've said that. But, but what a better statement might be? Love the sinner. Hate my sin. And that's where the older son was missing the boat. He could see very clearly the sin of his younger brother. But he was blinded to the lostness of his own heart. Because he was close to dad. He was doing all the right things all the while inside cold and proud and, and lost. And in verse 31, it's, the story doesn't really end well for the older son. It says this, And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. See, like the, the people that were listening to this story, you probably like most people, when you listen to this story, kind of at the first, you start listening to it, you think, you know who really needs a comeback? It's this younger son. As you hear, start to hear the story being told, it's like, man, the, this younger son, he, he really needs some help and he needs some hope and he, he's the one that, that needs to come back. But as you listen to the entire story and as Jesus finishes up the story, you realize that it really wasn't the younger son that was hopeless and lost. It was really the older son. And it's this older son that needs a miracle on the inside or he is going to die and be hopeless for eternity. Because this younger son, he, he realized where he was in his life and he humbled himself and he came to the father with humility and this older son never got that at least in the story and here's the difference between these two guys and this statement if you're taking notes i want you to write this statement down because the difference between these two sons and their life their future it comes down to one statement simply this understanding my need and god's love is the pathway to hope Understanding my need and God's love is the pathway to hope. See, the younger son realized his desperate need and from a place of humility experienced the overwhelming love of his father. 
But it was the older son that was blind to his own need. And as a result, he did not ever really understand his father's love. And instead, he grew angry and bitter at God's grace in other people's lives. See, see the, the younger son understood clearly that my need and God's love, understanding that is the pathway, understanding my desperation, and understanding the overwhelming just audacious, scandalous love of God that doesn't make sense. Understanding that is what brings hope, not my effort. And what's, what's just really interesting, as you look at these examples, it really, if you're going to personalize this story, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're somebody that's kind of investigating faith, maybe you're watching online, you need to ask yourself two questions. If you're going to take this off the pages of scripture and like, oh, this was a cute story Jesus told, but really apply it to your own life. It comes down to two questions. And here's the question. The first one, what's your view of God? Pretty simple question, but probably not a real simple answer. What's your view of God? Just like the younger son and older son, they had a different view of their father. It made all the difference. What's your view? Is your view of God this judge kind of in a courtroom? That, that you kind of wait your turn to be sentenced and talked down to and you get in trouble? And Is that kind of your view of God? Or, or is your view of God this spiritual coach with a lot of great advice that can make your life better if you'll follow all of his great coaching advice? Or... Is your view of God a loving father that's looking for you from the front porch? That's looking and can't wait for you to come back because he loves you and he wants to overwhelm you with grace and love. What is your view of God? Be honest. Is it that judge? Is it that coach? He's there to give you good advice and make your life better? Or is it the, the loving father that's standing on that front porch looking and, and can't wait to see you and it can't wait to love you and show you compassion and grace and change you from the inside out? What's your view of God? And the second question that, that it really leads us to is, is, is a, it's just a straightforward question that you have to answer. Do you need God? Like, what's your view of him? But then the second question is, do you need God? There's really a couple postures that we take when we, we think about our need for God. There's the, the posture of the young son who was desperate. That the young son really believed what John 15, 5 said, that apart from me, I can do nothing. Jesus said that. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And in our, our minds, how we, we play that verse out is we say, you know what, apart from me, you can't do any big things. But, but the younger son understood what hopefully we will understand is that I am desperate for God. I need God in every area of my life. I need God to be a good husband. I need God to be a good father. I need God to, to do a good job at work. I need God to, to work inside me so that I can love people that are unlovable. I desperately need God. That's one posture. But, but the second posture is a self-sufficient posture. This is the, when I need God, I'll let him know. 
And I will let him know because I'll need him at some point. I'll hit crisis in my life and I will be the first to go to God when it's crisis time. But, but when we have this posture that, hey, I, I don't really need God, but I'll call on him when things get a little tough, we're probably the type of people that walk around life and we look down at other people that seem to need God more than we do. And we almost take on the posture of pride. And so those two questions are really important if we're going to make a comeback personally, if, if our families are going to change, we got to understand and really be able to answer those like What's my view of God? And then, do I need him? I mean, just think, how, how would your life be different if you believed the statement, understanding my need in God's love is the pathway to hope? What if, like, it, you didn't say, hey, you know, if I, if I could do more for God, or if I could do this, if I could stop doing this more, what, what if it was just, hey, if I could understand my need, and I could get a bigger picture of God's love, that's the pathway to everything I want in life, long term, all the fulfillment I want in life, the, the, at the end of my life when I look back and say, man, that was a good life and, and things worked out, that, that's the path. These other paths, the younger son found out, man, that path overpromises and underdelivers every single time. So imagine how people, just think about this. Imagine how people who are not followers of Jesus would lean in if we remembered how needy we were. Sometimes and I hate this, and if you've walked away from the church, maybe you have. Maybe you walked away from the church because of this. Because every time you came around religious people, you felt like you were at like a, the JV class, and they were the varsity. Like, like, man, if I could ever get my stuff together, maybe I could join the varsity team. And, and because sometimes we as followers of Jesus, and I won't even say followers of Jesus, I'll say people that claim to be religious, sometimes we get off, we give off this, this thing that says, you know what, we're better than you, and get your stuff together, then you can hang out with us. And all the while, we're looking at porn when nobody else is looking. We're treating our wife the way we shouldn't treat her. We're, we're not doing it out in public. We're keeping a good front in public, but man, we're a mess on the inside. Imagine, just imagine how our city, how our, our families would be different if we just said, you know what, I need God as bad as anybody. I'm desperate for God as much as anybody. I don't have everything together, just like you don't have everything together. We all need to sit at the feet of Jesus. We desperately need to. Just imagine, imagine what our families would be, how it would be different. I'm looking at some families that, that just had kids. And we, we love the, our, man, our church is growing because of visitors, but it's also growing because this pandemic thing, people spending some extra time together where there's babies popping out. But we won't get into that. That's a whole other message. But, but uh, just imagine, imagine this. Imagine if those babies grow up in a home where they see their dad admit when he's wrong. Where they see their mom say, you know what? I shouldn't have said it that way. I don't have everything together. I need to apologize. Will you forgive me? Imagine the type of kids we're going to raise when they see our desperation for God and our need for his love. What would it, how could it be different? And so as we, as we grapple with this over the next 
few kind of few weeks as we grapple in this series, as we look at these different comebacks in the scripture, I want to encourage you to lean into this statement. Understanding God's love and understanding my need is the pathway to hope. And what we're going to do over the next few months, or actually over this next month, is we're actually going to be putting some things out on Instagram and Facebook, some Bible reading plans throughout the week that are going to tie in a lot to what we're, we're studying in this series that we think are going to help all of us really get to know God better and, and walk through this together. So, so let's remember that. Can we just all, if, if, if you come to City Walk Church, can we just be a church that just doesn't pretend? Can we just be a church that says, you know what? From the oldest to the youngest, we need God. We're desperate for God. We don't have it all together. Man, we, we know who does. His name's Jesus. And that's why we put time into spending time with him so we can get to know him because we're desperate for him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this story that you told. Uh, Lord, you told it to a, a crowd that uh, was a different kind of crowd. There, there were some people in that crowd that were hopeless there were some people in that crowd that, man, knew how bad they were. They weren't trying to hide it. But, Lord, there was also some people in that crowd that, man, they thought they had it all together and they did all the right things on the outside, but yet they were empty on the inside. God, I pray that you would take this story that you told some 2,000 years ago and that you will mark our hearts whether we're somebody who's been following you for a long time or whether we're somebody who's investigating faith, help us to remember and really understand our need and understand your crazy love that you have for us and that our need and your love is really the pathway to everything we truly desire from life. Lord, I pray that we would not believe the lies of the far country that always over promises and under delivers in Jesus name. Amen.